Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Windier today. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an auto worm it's bite. It's an auto worm bite, it turns it's a out. Giant. Oh, giant. It's a giant. So. Oh, it's a giant! Oh, it's a giant! Baby! What's going on, everybody? we got a great podcast with you today with some young guys to Uncle Larry Outdoors. They are on. It is Eric, Johnny, and Kai. Here we go. No, they need to go out and have fun. They need to go hop a fence when they're 12 years old and catch a six-pounder and giggle running away from a tractor like that's gonna those memories are gonna drive you to be the person in 15 years who yes has that five thousand dollar goliath setup and move down to the keys my name's kai johnny and eric we're uncle larry outdoors this is the tom Rowland podcast what's going on uncle larry outdoors what's going on fellas Thanks for having us, Tom. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are you guys up to today? Is the wind blowing for you? Yeah, it's a little chilly out there today. You know, uh, how, how cold was it this morning? Like 40? 45. Yeah. 45. Yeah, so for 45, what does that do for your fishing? Are you uh, looking forward to anything when it gets cold or does it shut you down? Um, You just kind of have to um, adjust. I think we, we kind of like the winter. So, uh, Pretty much our favorite time of year to fish just with the way that we fish uh, as we do a lot of, um, you know, kayaking and backwater stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, we kind of excel when uh, those temps get a little cooler and those fish push it, push back up into, you know, some of those rivers and backwaters. It's a little easier to manage than, you know, all of the uh, Tampa Bay. You yeah, know, for sure. For sure. For sure. So um uncle larry so uncle larry isn't just one person it's a whole bunch of people yeah we uh came up with the name it was kind of like more of a metaphorical idea i guess because i had a uh, uncle larry so he was a real person and i've actually only fished with him one time and it was back when i was first really getting into fishing and i was living up in new jersey and long island and i was a baseball player back then so i was always really busy in the spring, summer, and prime times. Um, but for one summer, I had like a little two-week break, and it was the first summer that I had access to uh, a little boat in Long Island, an 80s pursuit, like a 21-foot pursuit. And I was going out for fluke every day, and it was my first experience ever getting on a consistent bite and like a pattern and going through the whole kind of seasonal process of targeting these fish. And so I had this Uncle Larry, and he was a big fisherman, and he had really bad arthritis uh, at this point in his life. So his hands looked like boxing gloves. Mm -hmm. um, but I just knew, you know, he loved fishing. And, you know, my mom had asked me if, if I wanted to go out with him one day. So I was like, yes, but I had been planning this, you know, big send in this old boat. Like, we're going to go offshore. It's going to be badass. And when it kind of came down to the day to fish, it was more like, hey, Uncle Larry's probably not going to handle this. Like, just take him snapper fishing 
off the dock and like, you know, 12, 13 year old me was being a little arrogant. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to go send it. I want to go out in the ocean. I want to get out in the breakers and stuff. And uh, so I was kind of pissy about it, but we go out on the dock and we're just throwing like little dead shiners and we got on a little bite called like 15, 20 snapper blues. And I just remember how happy this dude was like cranking like that, you know, just laughing his ass off. I hadn't seen him that happy ever. And I realized he hadn't even caught a fish in like 15 years, but long story short, that really changed my perspective on like why we do this and how much fun I have. And, you know, it not being necessarily about the size or where you are, just kind of the overall experience. And so I, when he passed away, uh, I went over to his house and they, his wife had let me take all the fishing stuff, but I hadn't been touched in 20 years. So there's really like not much, for me to take that was useful at the time, but there was one ultralight rod and it was a two piece ultralight rod. It had spinning guides, but a fly fishing, yeah. uh, real seat. Uh-huh. And we still haven't even figured out what rod this was, uh, exactly, but I got it refurbished and redone and pretty much exclusively used this noodle ultralight for like, from like 2017, 2018 up until last summer when it, met its demise Uh eventually but that was the concept of like uncle larry outdoors was yeah everyone has an uncle larry who either introduces you to the sport or reminds you why it's so important or so much fun and the connections that you make out there um and then we kind of took that metaphor and put it into practice by like almost exclusively using that rod and that rod since again met its demise in sweden actually after doing some pike fishing um, but we still take that concept seriously and introduce as many people as we can to fishing. And then we're also minimalists with gear. Like we've, we come, we come from New Jersey and not that many people where we growing up were doing this. And we had one rod that worked at any given times out on like our bikes or whatever. Um, you know, doing the whole trespassing scene and, yeah fence hopping bike rides and we got our licenses and it was kind of game over, but we still only had like very limited gear options. So that idea of kind of like one rod, just get out there, do it for the right reasons. That's kind of been our bread and butter. Man, that's a cool story. Uh, uncle Larry would be super happy to know that you put that rod to such good use. (laughs) How many species do you think he caught on that thing? Oh man. I mean, some highlights are obviously up North. You got, Big, largemouth, smallmouth, pretty much every trout species. So brown rainbows, brookies. I took it out to Sweden with me and caught some of their oring, which are kind of their brown trout. Uh-huh. Uh, caught pike, pickerel, perch. And then down in Florida, when we moved down here, I caught tarpon on it. Um, caught jacks, sea trout, reds. Pretty much anything we've encountered on like a day-to-day basis, at least up to that point in our life, we caught something on it. What, what'd season. you do with the real seat? Did you leave it a fly real seat or did you? Yeah, I left it? the original real seat. So it has the original real seat. And for a while it had original everything, but it was hand tied, like old rusted metallic guides. And eventually I was like, actually, if I had like braided mainline, it started snapping as uh-huh. I was reeling in. Yeah. So I eventually got, you know, new ceramic guides, uh, put on there and then polished out the two piece, I didn't even know it was a two piece at first because it was so old that <laughs> I couldn't even pull the rod apart. So once I got that polished out, 
I started traveling with it a lot more. Um, and he, it never broke on a fish. I caught tarpon on it, pike, everything. Uh, and what, what broke it was on my birthday in Sweden last year, I went pike fishing, actually caught some decent, you know, 24, 25 inch pike on this ultralight. Wow. And then the car window. Oh no, so, no, it met its demise in a car window. Yeah, you just yeah. ruined the whole story, man. All these I great know, fish and everything else. And it, and it <laughs> dies in a car window. It's better, no, I guess it's better than a ceiling fan. Jacks and little grouper and everything, and it was a car window. Oh man, it's better than a ceiling fan, though. That's that's that would even be uh, less honorable for a uh, for a rod like that. So, were you putting a spinning rod on the fly fly reel um, uh, reel seat like that? And did you yeah, try to ever fly fish with it? The pairing was a one k stratic, ten uh-huh. pounds braid, and then whatever leader we're we're yeah. using for when whatever. I grew up in Tennessee, where, when I grew up there, uh, people used to use fly rods. It was like the, it was like the opposite. They would use a fly rod, but then they would put a spinning reel on it and they would just, it was almost like, uh, um, kind of like European nymphing, but they would do it with bait. They would take a, a live, you know, minnow and then put it on a fly rod with a spinning rod on, with a spinning reel on it. And then they would just kind of high stick it down through these, you know, little creeks and uh, but it was almost the opposite. I'm trying to think of why somebody would make a rod like that, a spinning rod with a fly reel. It almost like seems to almost. be like a like a fad or like a gimmick because we haven't found any info huh. on what reel it is. So I could almost see it being like one of those like 60s, 70s Bass Pro 500 yeah. page like. Unless it was like this. a mooching reel. Do you know what that is? I use them in Alaska, and mm-hmm. dude, you can throw this thing incredible well i don't know if they call it a mooching reel there but a mooching reel is like a it's a fly reel type reel that goes on a long rod but you spool it with mono and or or that's what they that's what we were doing in alaska and but they called it a center pin so there's a mooching reel and then there's a center pin and the center pin would be kind of on a fly rod but then you would have it the center pin reel which looks and and acts like a fly reel uh, with a center pin, and they could throw this thing with like a, it would basically a bobber, and underneath it is an egg pattern. And because if you're trying to fly fish, you get all the you get all the drag in the line and everything, and you got to mend. But up in Alaska, they can throw this thing like all the way across the river, and then with the mono or the braid, you're getting no no pull, and you can get these incredible floats and catch. It's it's deadly. Like the guys that know how to do that are deadly. So that it could have been something like that, like early center pin style. It was it only five and a half feet. Like how how long were those rods? Long, you know? long yeah. in Alaska. In Alaska, but I feel like for the drifting, yeah. you'd want like a longer. That's, that's cool. Yeah. And so one thing that we do here on the podcast, we have uh, the hot seat. So we're gonna go through these questions that I prepared for for you guys today. Uh, <laughs> all right, fresh or salt? Uh, salt. Salt. Drive or fly, Johnny? Drive. Chocolate or vanilla, Eric? Vanilla. Text or call, Kai? Text. Favorite social media platform, Johnny? YouTube. Uh, do you answer every comment or never look at them, Eric? Every comment. Answer it? Yes. Uh, one million now or 10 million later, Kai? 10 million later. Good for you. One thing you've learned in the last year that's made you money, Johnny? Um, I would say deliver on what you say you're going to do. Good one. A movie that makes you laugh? Mm-hmm. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Okay. Uh, Kai, would you have a reptile as a pet? Would and have, yes. Would and have. 
Uh, Johnny, a non-fishing destination that you'd like to visit? Every fishing's a, every destination's a fishing destination. <laughs> okay, uh, then Eric gets to s tell us what the top fishing destination on your bucket list is. Bhutan. Bhutan. What do you want to catch there? The Golden Masir. Mm-hmm. Yep, I happen to know a little bit about that. I've never been. That's on my list too. Um, let's see. Uh, one species. One species you would like to catch, Kai. Species I would like to catch: goonch catfish. That's a good one too. Where would you do that? Uh, India. I forget exactly where in India. I think near the Himalayas somewhere. Mm -hmm. I forget the name of the exact. Uh, I think you might be able to get a masir while you're there, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that masir is in the same body of water too. Yeah. According to Jeremy Wade. Yeah, according to Jeremy Wade. Okay. Uh, one thing you have changed your mind on in the last two years, Johnny. One thing I've changed my mind on in the last. Okay. Um. You uh. When you're right about something, you can keep it to yourself. You don't need to convince other people. Okay, we'll go into that a little bit later. Uh, one piece of advice that you live by, Eric. Do what you say you're going to do. A couple of things that you guys were talking about is, you know, um, things that you've learned. Do what you say you're going to do. Deliver on, on what you say you're going to deliver. So, where I mean, those are two kind of themes that came through uh, in this. Where, where does that come from? What what are you what are you learning? I'm assuming that Uncle Larry, you're selling to sponsors or you're 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 doing this as a business, right? Yeah. So and that's kind of where it comes from with like simplifying the mindset and executing on what we say we want to accomplish. Cause I think this started off as like this kind of ethereal concept. I was working in Manhattan in financial consulting and tech sales at the time. And really this was just a way for me to connect with cool people uh, who I honestly wasn't meeting in that day-to-day -day scene on this deeper level and this fishing level. Um, Cause I knew they existed from when I had started to get into it earlier in life. But again, it started off as just like with no foundation, uh, like it wasn't like a brand or something we were trying to sell. And as it got a little bit bigger and we started meeting cooler people and had bigger and bigger goals and aspirations, we started doing a lot more exciting things but also um we're dreaming so big that you can kind of get that paralysis by analysis <laughs> sort of thing going on yeah so over the last like year or two with some of these relationships we've made we've really tried to focus in on what are we good at as individuals and how can we deliver some value for somebody else that will let us continue to pursue our ultimate dreams, which is really that sort of Jeremy Wade lifestyle, doing it our way. But just that idea of if we want to go to Bhutan tomorrow and catch a golden Messier, like what relationships can we call on and what can we do to help somebody else out in doing a trip like that? So that's been the biggest, maybe more business focus or um, mindset shift that we've had is still have these bigger goals and aspirations, but really not skip steps in getting there. Cause if someone were to give us funding to do, you know, like a 10 part series in Bhutan tomorrow, I don't think any of us would have any clue what to do with it. <laughs> um, and so we're trying to really just make sure we, we learn a lot along the way and check off these bucket list items that are closer to home and learn what people see as valuable from what yeah. we do and how we can, that's super cool. Back and doing that. You know, when I started this podcast, um, well, I've done over like 
how many been almost 900 episodes 850 episodes so when i started this one one of the things that i was the most interested in was this moment where like people you know for at it started at first like fishing guides charter captains um people that had gotten into the outdoors and and almost almost always i mean there were a couple of like second and third generation guides and anglers and stuff like that on there but almost always some of the best have come from another walk of life and they came to this point in time where they decided i'm doing that and there have been some of the most interesting stories ever told on this were were about that moment where you kind of decided i'm not going to do this in manhattan anymore like i'm i think that there is a future here. I'd like to hear it from all of you. Like, what were you doing before you started this? Because I hear, like, I talk to a lot of people, man, and a lot of people want to, it's like, I want to do an Instagram for fishing, or I want to start a YouTube channel, or it's like, okay, well, do it. Like, nothing's stopping you. But then most don't. But you guys have done it. So I'd love to hear, like, Johnny, you you just said kind of what you were doing. What, what were you other guys doing um, before you started this, and are you all doing it full-time now? Well, um, from a personal standpoint, uh, I've been fishing my whole life, and I've been filming my fishing adventures since 2010 mm-hmm. when I was 13 years old. So I kind of rode that throughout high school knowing that I enjoyed to film but I also enjoyed it being coupled with the fishing aspect of things. Like that's what was always most important to me because the fishing came first. Fishing is what matters most to me. It's I've met all of my closest friends and associates through fishing and it brings me physical and mental peace, you know, and, and stability. So it's always been super important to me over the years. I kind of molded that into a couple different, different work opportunities. One of which was being a part of Ike live and working for Mike. Nice. Iconelli. So oh, yeah. I did that for three years and that was the main thing I was doing before uncle Larry's really became a thing. Johnny actually started the page towards the end of my time there when he was working in Manhattan. And, um, yeah, it just kind of really formulated through that because I think we were both going through transitional periods in our lives where we looked at Uncle Larry's as like, hey, maybe we should focus on this because at the end of the day, this is so pure and it just puts us around the kind of people that we want to be associated with. And we, we just always had a lot of uh, appreciation for it. So when we were going through those transitional points in our lives, I think that's when Uncle Larry's really began to blossom for, for the two of us. Was was the first money that you ever made in fishing through Mike Iconelli and Ike Live? Was that no, your first job? actually, uh, before that, back in high school, I was associated with another website, which was basically just like a early kind of, you know, when, when forums were way more yeah. of a thing, like bass fishing forums. It, it was one of those, and that was when I got my first money to kind of go produce videos for this forum site. So What was that forum that, site? Uh, it was called the Bass College. Okay. It's not around today. It was it was really yeah, a thing yeah. back in the early 2010s. Yeah, there were a lot of great forums that just got overrun with spam. And for sure. It yeah, just, it was definitely they could, a thing. They couldn't keep it out of them. Yeah, it, it for sure sparked my just knowing that that was possible, you know. And then I would say a little later on, being around Mike was very important for me because here's a guy that's literally like from the same state as me 
I grew up watching and admiring this guy, but now I'm physically around him and able to see, okay, this man has actually built a successful life and career off of what I love to do in a different way than obviously we're trying to go about it right now. But just to be around someone like that and get that perspective was super important for me. That's a great opportunity. What about you, Kai? Yeah, so um, before uh, ULO, I was um, I, I'd always fished. My dad got me into fishing when I was uh, pretty young, and it was always more of a uh, outlet for me. You know what I mean? Where'd kind you grow therapy. up? Uh, Jersey as well. Jersey, okay, yeah, we're all from Jersey. All I'm from, from Jersey. Trenton. Yep. Um, born and raised, and um, yeah, it started off you know catfishing, carp fishing. That's how I got into it, and then as I got older got into bass and the world of throwing artificials. And um, like I said, it was always um, kind of like a little getaway for me. And as I got older, I started to, I guess, gravitate more and more towards it. You know what I mean? More so when I got out of college and, you know, started to, you know, adult, you know. What did you study in college? Um, I really went to college for law enforcement. And then I changed my major to uh, video production. Really? And, uh, you know, I thought I wanted to maybe, you know, work at like a newscasting uh -huh. place. Like behind it wasn't scenes. for fishing. You didn't change it because you, you thought you wanted to uh, make fishing videos. No, I, I honestly, um, I didn't even really think about trying to make fishing, uh, you know, a career until... So so has that helped you, what you learned in college in video production? Is oh, that, oh, for sure, it for has? sure. It, it, it's kind of funny, too, because, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, when you're going to school, you kind of just dive into it and, and try to figure out something that you, you think you might like. I really had no idea, but I'm like, I've always had an interest in, you know, videography and photography, and if I could learn a little bit more about that, you know, maybe it'll spark more of a passion for it. And it did. I just didn't really have an outlet to use it. Huh. You know what I mean? So when and, you uh, were when you got interested in, in fishing and, and you, you meet these guys, I guess, uh, did it did you have a moment where you were like, dude, I've already got all I've already know I already know how to do all this stuff. So, so it's kind of funny. Um the, the way that I met uh John and Eric was actually it was during the pandemic. Um, just like the heat of the pandemic when everything was starting to shut down. Um, I had gotten to uh, sales eventually after going to school for video production. I, sales was always um, something that I did throughout college and whatnot. I was selling appliances. I worked at Best Buy for a little bit, H.H. Gregg. And then I got into the solar industry, and I was selling solar for a little bit. And then I started doing um, inspections. Um, getting into people's attics, checking their roofs and their houses and whatnot. And um, one day, all my jobs had canceled because, you know, like I said, COVID was starting to heat up. Nobody wanted me coming in their house and whatnot. And uh, I always used to keep a rod in uh, my work van. And I was calling my manager. My manager's like, I don't know what's going on, man. I'm going to give you a call back and let you know, you know, where, what's what's happening. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to get paid to fish until – yeah, I mean, I figured out what's going on. So there's where um, your first dollar for fishing came on, on a different, yeah, yeah, much. <laughs> on a solar job. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just went on Google Maps like I always used to do, and found the nearest body of water tour, uh, you know, to where I was in North Jersey, wherever I was that day. And I pull up to Speedwell Lake, and I'm out there fishing, trying to catch a bass or something. It's like what is it, far, uh, February, March. It's like March. 
uh, it's still a little colder out there. And this guy just walks up to me and starts, you know, talking to me or whatnot about fishing, asking me what I'm looking for or whatnot. He's like, yeah, bro, there's no bass in here. So, you, know, you know, find another place to go. But we start chopping it up and whatnot. And he's like, um, you should follow my son's uh, fishing page on um, Instagram and YouTube. He makes, like, fishing videos. I think you guys would, you know, get along or not. At first, I'm like, all right, this guy's trying to get me to follow his 13-year-old son's fishing page or something like that. You know what I mean? And then I go and I, I look it up later that night, and uh, I was actually watching one of Eric's videos. He caught a state record pickerel, unofficial state record pickerel out of a body of water in North Jersey. And I was just literally watching that video the week before. So I'm like, well... This is probably a sign of some sort. So I should probably, you know, see what these guys are about. And, um, you know, fast forward our first send. I think I met, I drove up to Long Island where uh, Johnny was at um, to go fish with these guys out in Long Island for uh, fluke and stripers and stuff off the beach. And uh, it's kind of written in stone from there. Man, you know? that's, that's cool. <laughs> what in the world was your dad doing at that lake? That's a lake that Johnny's been there with me many times. We, we literally grew up fishing that lake. It's, minutes away from where we grew up and the cool thing about it is in the middle of the winter when a lot of other stuff freezes over it's actually a dammed up river system so there's a little bit of current flowing through it doesn't always freeze and there's a lot of big chain pickerel in there fish that will bite in really cold conditions huh. so that's why my dad's seen him trying to catch bass and he had to come up and just help you, my man you didn't catch any pickerel like, no bass in there <laughs> well wouldn't a pickerel bite a bass lure Seems like a pike would. I don't know anything about pickerel. I fish for pike a bunch, but oh yeah, oh yeah. they definitely, oh love. yeah, yeah, they oh, love yeah. Uh, jerk baits. Yeah. Oh okay, cold weather. They love jerk baits. That's yeah. cool. But I think that's what I was throwing too. He, I think he was. <laughs> it's funny though. That day, I think he was just there with his girlfriend going on a walk, and it's crazy because I, you know I don't know my dad to necessarily be someone to go out of the way to ha always have conversations like that, especially when he's with his girl, but. I think it was just a divine intervention moment when, you know, if that was something bigger than him channeled through him to be like, hey, I should go up to that guy. and I, yeah. should, I should talk. To that's him. super I, cool. I believe in that stuff. So, so that's how you guys got together. And then what about how you two end up with Johnny? Well, I've known Johnny since we were six years old. We grew okay. up together and in a fairly large school system in New Jersey, he was one of my two good fishing friends. I, I knew two people that fished. It was Johnny and our other mutual friend, Jack, and that was it. So it was kind of, I mean, the fact that we both liked to fish and we knew each other from that early age, that aspect of it was kind of set in stone. And then a little bit later on in college when, you know, I was working for Mike and Johnny was in Manhattan, we never lost that connection through fishing. Johnny would literally get on the train, meet me at a train station in Jersey. I'd pick him up. We'd drive two hours north into upstate New York, fish all day in 20-degree weather. And next thing you know, Johnny is walking back down a Manhattan street at 1 in the morning, soaked with waders on with a rod in downtown Manhattan. Nobody so bothers you when you look like that. We always have that, that, you know. <laughs> Nobody bothers you when you're when you're soaking wet and waders walking down the street in, in Manhattan. You're, you're, you're just you're like whatever you're up to, man. I don't even want to know. Like that's the one nice thing about Manhattan. You you're hidden in plain sight. Like that would be crazy in almost any other city, but but there it's hey, you're not wielding a 
a weapon or something. <laughs> right. so I'm gonna just let it go. They probably think you've been down in the sewer. They're like, just stay away from that guy. Like, yeah, you know. sewer rats. <laughs> yeah. So Mike Iconelli, he, you know, I mean, I always loved his show about like the urban urban bass fishing city and limits. stuff like yes. city limits. Yeah, it was on. Uh, we were on the same network, I think. On I think he was on NBC Sports or maybe it was Versus back in the day. Uh, but he was he was on there. Did you ever uh, go city fishing with Mike Iconelli when you worked for him? Yeah, actually, we got on the news because we went into downtown Philadelphia and caught a catfish through a storm drain <laughs> in the middle of the city. And nice. the news channels showed up and all of that. But, uh, yeah, we, we grew up watching City Limits for sure. It was a major influence on our childhood, especially considering that, you know, Ike really stood for, hey, you don't need to be from Georgia khaki pants plaid shirt you could be a little loud you could have tattoos you could be from philly and you could be a part of this and yeah. when we were young that was really important for us to see that so to uh develop a friendship with him later on and uh you know go on some of the adventures we have yeah. it's been nothing short of that's awesome and not only that i mean the the way that he did it like with the going through the federation and then winning the bassmaster classic like it couldn't be like just the story that you told is enough, right? Like that would be enough to have kind of an iconic status. Like you got tattoos and you're from Jersey and you're kind of loud and you're not the same as, as certainly when he, when he broke onto the scene, he was a different oh, yeah. character. Right. And then, but it's just that he did it and he's such a hero to so many people because of the way that he did it and going through the Federation. And there's that one spot and you get that spot and that would be a great story like just that you made it to the bassmaster classic through the federation but then to win yeah and then to go on and prove that that wasn't a fluke that you can that you can compete and you can win and you can be one of the top guys from then on like i don't know it's great he's been on the podcast twice and the oh, first awesome. time the first time uh that i had him on we met at icast and um he was the nicest guy and I just walked up to him. And I was like, hey, Mike, I'm Tom Rowland. I was wondering if you wanted to be on the podcast. He goes, yeah, man, I'm a big fan of the podcast. When do you want to do it? I was like, what? You've listened to my podcast? <laughs> He's like, yeah, of course I've listened to your podcast. Of course I know who you are. Uh, like, he was just so nice. He came right up to the suite and sat down there, and he told his whole story in a way that it seemed like he had never told it before. I mean, he was emotional about it. He was he was just great, man. I, I just have a tremendous amount of respect for him. He's, he's just a really, really cool guy. And yeah, uh, the work he's done with the foundations and stuff is just, I mean, he's an inspiration to me of like, like you guys are like, you know, you want to do this all pure and, and we're going to go into what you, what you want to get out of uncle Larry outdoors. But like what Mike Iconelli has accomplished, like that's, to, that speaks to me. Like he has this whole foundation and, and, and he's helping so many kids get into the, to the sport. So I hope you, and it sounds like you, you definitely do know what, what a great opportunity that was to, to get to know him and, and the way he does things. That's super cool. So, yeah. um, yeah. So, um, what do you want to tell me about where, where uncle Larry outdoors is now? Like what's your main platform, YouTube or Instagram or what? Well, I would say um, if you want to go purely off numbers, our, our biggest following is on Instagram, and Instagram has been a, a good platform for us because we have a nice mix of putting up raw content on there that people can just scroll and enjoy. But then there's also a, a deeper, more artistic side to Uncle Larry's, I would say, which really 
aims to portray fishing in the light which we all see it, which is like a super deep and meaningful thing. And Instagram has allowed us to produce stuff like that and it get out there. So I'd say that and then YouTube for our longer form stuff, our your, your 20, your 30 minute videos of entire days mm-hmm. of fishing. So those are our two main ones right now. But yeah. um, we're also on TikTok as well. Does that do well for you? Are you you guys are you TikTokers? We're kind of like that millennial cops <laughs> where we don't we don't understand it. So it's it's not easy. But so how old I are you guys? Twenty seven. You're all you're all twenty seven, twenty eight. So yes. yeah, you kind of missed it a little bit. Yeah, I got yeah. three kids. My 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 uh, my oldest son is twenty six. So right in right around you guys' age, he missed it totally. Like, mm-hmm. but then my middle son, then my daughter. My middle son's 25, and then uh, my daughter is 20. And so she's squarely in the TikTok. But it's funny how just a few years have you missing something. Like, you guys are probably not Facebook people at all. Like, no. but, but I bet you remember, like, I mean, I remember when my son came back, my oldest son, and he's like, Dad, I need a, I, I got to have a Facebook page. And, yeah. and that lasted a little while. Like, okay, I guess you can have a Facebook page, you know, I guess. But we're going to talk about, like, what this is like? What are you gonna? What are you gonna do with it? Um, but then, but then you're squarely in the Instagram world. Like that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that age. I think of past. Not quite Facebook. Definitely YouTube. Instagram. Like it's funny how they they all go on these waves. And like I know for our Instagram, I got on Instagram real early, and and we got a lot of followers right away. And and if you try to get on now, it's whew, tough, right? Mm-hmm. What, do you think that uh, you missed the TikTok uh, wave or or maybe it's just not important? Well, we had that one video go super viral and like millions of people on TikTok were reposting it and we weren't even on TikTok. Um, <laughs> like we technically had a handle, but we didn't ever use it. So I think our lesson learned from that is like we make a lot of content and so we might as well throw darts at the board on TikTok and like on, on Instagram, like we have our uh consistency in how we kind of portray the page yeah and we know what we're going to do with like hashtags and how we're going to respond to followers and everything because we were kind of bred into that like tiktok for us to spend the time to figure that out we'll do it over time and organically and try and get a bit of a return on it but right now we just post our content on there hope we get some crossover and some bleeding over from people who are familiar with us from YouTube or Instagram and right. people are making their way to it, but it's not something we put as much time or effort in. So have you guys figured out how to do this full time? I would say no. Um, we definitely do our best to like bring in as much as we can to, and put it all back into fishing mm-hmm. through uncle Larry's. Like there's still a lot of work to do on the side um, to make sure that you just kind of have the needs met. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been a struggle at times because we're, we have such a fire about fishing. Like your needs that, met, like your rent paid and your, yeah, and your all, bills. Yes. Like okay. we've, we've been through it all with, mm-hmm. with that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've taken on all sorts of jobs, whether it's corporate nine to fives while we're doing this or side hustles, selling the work we do for ourselves and fishing as a service to, other small businesses, other platforms, other fishing brands, other fishing people. Um, we're definitely trying to 
tap into a more like gig economy type mindset because we do put all of this effort on the social media side that people do find valuable, like whether it's in real estate, promoting a house that's for sale or a new small business or a restaurant, something along those lines. It's all the same formula in terms of what you have to do to prep technology wise with cameras, uploading things, giving advice on how to post it. It's pretty much just multimedia marketing is what we've realized. Like we've organically taught ourselves in trying to build a fishing brand. So there's definitely an element to trying to sustain and elevate ourselves on that front outside of the fishing world, because as I'm sure a lot of people know, like the fishing world, it's, it can be a tough place to crack into mm. on the financial side. Cause it is such a pure activity. It's something that so many people are willing to go out and do and produce content at a huge discount or for free. So you really do have to prove yourself over a long period of time and you have to be unique enough where somebody finds a value that they're willing to pay for it. And honestly, if you can do that in fishing, you can probably make more money doing that elsewhere until you get to a certain point. So getting creative with that skill set and and trying to sell ourselves and using fishing as a portfolio has definitely been a good intermediary step for us. But I mean, the goal is, you know, to put 100% of our focus and our money and time and attention on fishing. So we're never looking to get away from that well, either. It actually sounded like there's a couple of things there. Like you, maybe you want to like make a multimedia marketing firm that provides enough money so that you can fish all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Or do you make your money from fishing? Like, have you, I'm sure that you guys sit around and talk about this all the time. Uh, because I mean, like if you were to, if you were to kind of blue sky, you know, a three or five year plan from now, like what would, it, what would it look like for uncle Larry? I think one thing we've talked about the most for like a blue sky idea is having like a consistent project based portfolio where somebody knows, like if we pitch a project, however crazy it is, somebody knows that it's going to get to the audience that they're looking to capture from that financial side of why would I invest in this project? What are they using or doing that? is going to get to this market and have they shown over years that they have an audience. And so we've been very, very stringent on fishing with as many people that follow us as possible, always mm -hmm. communicating with them, responding, helping out however we can with that community. Cause that's our foundation. That's why we do it in the first place is it started as kind of a networking opportunity to meet cool people. And now these cool people are really behind us. But in terms of like the project type world, um, we definitely have lofty goals. And I think for us, it's kind of that we grew up with Pokemon. I know Kai and I have talked about this a lot, this idea of catching them all and mm -hmm. having that sort of unaccomplishable goal in life and getting as close to it as you can. I think really just the idea of being able to pick a species and a destination and go and come back with like with a picture that you, you went out and did that setting a goal. It's a metaphorical thing of setting a goal and accomplishing it. So I think the blue sky idea for us is really to get to a point where we have the skill set to go anywhere in the world and catch whatever fish it is. Um, we have, and we have the audience to support that and get excited behind it. So we need to have a positive message behind what we're doing to encapsulate something 
bigger than fishing? And then is that audience consistent enough and targeted enough where a brand that we're behind too, that helps us out, um, can get value from having that viewership. Man, I think you found your idea just a minute ago when you were talking about Pokemon and you, you, you create an app, like you create an app where people are basically, it's like a scavenger hunt, but you got to catch a fish there. We've right? talked, talked about this. About this. Exactly. You should do it, man. You should do wow. it. You should totally yeah. do it. I mean, you could probably put together an app that wouldn't, wouldn't, minimal viable product you could probably put it together that wouldn't cost you an arm and a leg and i mean you guys probably figure out how to build an app like that and then you just test it with your audience and just see if it works like if people are into it or or you just have like you could just do like i'm way into like you know minimum viable product or just something that you can test an idea with like you got this audience you could do like a scavenger hunt just on a weekend and just see how many people participated and just run it like right on Instagram or something. You got to tag this and you just look at all the pictures and then you get an idea of like, would people do this? And then maybe you put some cash up or some prizes or something. It seems like a good way. That's, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about. Cause that seems like, that seems like an idea that would resonate with, with people your age and, and younger, right? Like a, like the scavenger hunt or like a dad with, with, his kids or something like maybe that's a way to get people in. We, with my kids, we used to do these um, fishing tournaments where you could look at, you could look at all the things that were caught and then you could find open categories or you could be like, well, we could easily catch bigger, bigger fish than this. And so we'd have a whole list of things that we would go out and it was kind of like a scavenger hunt. We need, we need four lady fish and they got to be, you know, we got to catch them on this pound test and, you know, they're learning how to do all the knots and they're learning how to catch the fish. And, you know, and then we need one horse eyed Jack and we need, you know, these fish are not like hard to catch, you know, but, but it was more about like fish identification, uh, learning about like where these fish are and what they do, what they eat. Like they learned so much like that, more than they learned in school. They didn't even realize that they were doing it, but they were interested in fishing. So, but it was kind of like our little scavenger hunt. But I think that idea would be kind of cool. And what one of the things that I had on the the schedule to talk to you guys about was like, you know, in the fishing industry, um, getting youth into fishing um, or or maintaining the interest is a definite concern because of phones, video games ever you name it there's a lot of distractions and a lot of things that are pulling kids like when i grew up we were we were just outside all the time i mean you get on your bicycle and you didn't have to come home till after dark and there was usually a fishing rod on there and you riding around it sounds like you guys did a lot of the same kind of stuff but that's not the that's not the case with with most kids these days and and you also have like this whole kind of urban fishing kind of background that that i don't necessarily have but uh, that's interesting. So what I was going to ask you about before we even got on the app and, and the, those kind of things was just like, what do you, how do you see that it's most effective to talk to younger people like your age or younger, like teenagers, especially talk to them about fishing, encourage them to go fishing. Like what's, what's missing in the fishing industry that, that you guys are obviously tapping into that other people should be tapping into i think from the start it goes back to seeing the enthusiasm that we have on camera when we're out there that reel that went viral with kai catching that bass i always think back to 
Why did that go viral? Why did that resonate with so many people? And it was nothing about a gimmick, nothing about anything but the fact that you could feel that energy through the screen and you could realize like, wow, whatever he's doing there, I want to do that. Whether it's in fishing or it's outside of fishing, mm-hmm. I want to feel how he felt when he caught that fish. So I think giving kids that opportunity to feel that sort of feeling. For example, when the page was smaller and we were still up in New York City, we did this event. And the, like I said, mind you, the page was very small. We were able to raise a good amount of money to get rods and reels. And we literally brought them into the middle of Central Park and just started handing them out to kids being like, hey, who wants to go fishing? And we had corn and we caught bluegills. And I was able to actually sit there and watch that kid for the first time, feel that bite and pull that rod up and see a bluegill on the other end. And in that moment, I knew that kid got that feeling. And that's something that it's it's not even something that you could physically see. You just know, right? And it's like that kid might be hooked for life. Mm-hmm. I think making sure that they actually can tangibly feel what it's like to experience something like that is is where it starts, I would say. You know what's interesting about that is that kid might be hooked for life and might turn into someone that fishes often. Or they might fish once every five years, but they'll be a fisherman at heart for the rest of their life. And that is super, super important because, you know, there's a lot of people that don't think fishing's cool. Like, believe it or not, they're out there. Um <laughs> And, and the more people that we have as allies of, what are you talking about? Fishing's amazing. It was some of the best time I ever spent with my dad or some of the best time I ever spent with my mom. Or, you know, we, I had a great time every time I went, except for the one time I got hooked in the finger. You know, like it's, it's, a, it's like a, you, you can put an impression on someone that makes them a fisherman for life and that they have respect and, and, uh, and, and well, it's really like respect for the whole sport and the people that do it, that do it ethically and, and right, right? Um, so what about uh, Johnny and Kai? You got anything to uh, add to that? Yeah, just real quick on what you were saying about, you know, like people not finding fishing cool and kind of tying it back into um, the youth and then also where the industry might be missing right now. Well, the one thing I've noticed, I think we've all collectively noticed since COVID is when we were growing up, especially in New Jersey, fishing was not cool. Um, that's why we were the only ones doing it. Now I go back to my hometown and I see like eight or 10 kids out on bikes fishing. Um, I see kids with multiple, they got their personal Instagram page. Fishing's all of a sudden getting cool. Mm -hmm. And I've had, I've heard somebody compare it to like skateboard culture almost in the nineties because it's taken on from like this country club bass boat or tuna boat lifestyle to like let's get back to the adventure being the part of it it doesn't really matter the fish is kind of secondary and i think with the pandemic and people being cooped up so much it was like i'm going to set a small goal and catch a fish today and catching the fish is the proof that you went out and had a great day but you remember the day itself and that's how much you're laughing and exploring new places and the urban environment's really cool for that too because you realize life finds a way in central park um so if you're like well if i can do that here and then you go and look at a map of the world and now kids have google maps you're like well i can do that here or there or there and this place is driving distance i had no idea this was here so i think there is an element where it's becoming cool and you're seeing a lot more kids getting into it and honestly 
like say what you want about these guys like we haven't always done the same thing as them but like when people took that youtube perspective like a guggen squad type mentality and showcased that coffee to bedtime adventure people empathize with that where i think the industry is missing is you're trying to sell people who've never tried the sport 20 different setups <laughs> that are a thousand dollars each with you can't use 10 pound test mono you have to use eight pound fluoro to catch us it's bullshit and like <laughs> when you get to a certain level like when you're on the pga tour you're using irons with a sweet spot this big because you're hitting like those irons are made for that level and yes like equipment matters when you get to that level but you're trying to sell to a generation that's just getting started and you're telling them they need thousands of dollars that they need electronics on the front of the boat no they need to go out and have fun they need to go hop a fence when they're 12 years old and catch a six pounder and giggle running away from a tractor like that's gonna those memories are gonna drive you to be the person in 15 years who yes has that five thousand dollar goliath setup and move down to the keys like if you want someone to get there the, the barrier to entry can't be so significant and it can't be shamed for people who are using doing more with less like that's been a big yeah. thing for us is do more with what you have and don't make it so much about the result as the people you meet the places you see the experiences you have and the lessons you learn because if you do all of those things the fishing will come you're going to learn how to use that gear that gear is going to find its way into your hands but don't skip steps it those are the things you remember the most is like we're fortunate enough now if we want to go to the keys we know six people there we can go hang out with but when we first got to florida we were sleeping literally on the streets of miami to get two hours in sleeping bags in a in a in a dirt lot just so we could try and catch a tarpon and at the end of the day those are the days that we'll remember yeah. and and so i i just think keeping it cool is also in part like it's fine to sell a product it's fine to sell an experience but make sure it's something that is actually useful is not going to discourage somebody from wanting to be a part of what is ultimately a, a community that really has nothing to do with gear yeah yeah, that's good advice, I think. I think it's really good advice. I think that, you know, just like you're talking about, don't skip steps uh, for for the angler, for the person that's getting into it. It's also probably the same could be said for, for the whole fishing industry. Don't skip steps and just assume. I think that that's one of the things that, you know, me, I've been in the fishing industry now for, I don't know, 30-plus years, and, and it's very easy to just start here where you think that means – the very basics, but you're missing like the years before where literally you had no idea. Like it's like we're, we're focusing in on the nuances of these knots, which is great for a certain part of the audience. Right. Then there's this whole other part that's just like, wait, there's more than one knot. Like, why would you even need that? Right. Yes. Like, so, yeah. I mean, I think that it's, I need to be constantly reminded of my, on my own, like in the way that you phrase questions on the podcast or the way that you're doing YouTube videos or even talking to people on the show is like, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we're fishing for is like this once-in-a-lifetime fish, a permit or a tarpon or a sailfish or something like that. That is definitely a once-in-a-lifetime fish for a lot of people. And in order to do that, it takes a certain kind of gear. But there's zillions of other fish that you could catch, you know, just 
like like what you're saying is like pull up to any bridge. You can catch snappers and grunts and and Jack Cravels and all kinds of stuff that will pull harder than any freshwater fish. And it's so fun, right? And and it's so easy. But a lot of that gets you people forget to talk about like that. And it's interesting on YouTube, like the things that get the most views are the most interesting fish. They're never the they're never the biggest fish or the well, maybe like a Goliath, but that's an interesting fish too. It like looked like a dinosaur, right? But that's how we used to do it with my kids is it was never when I would take my kids fishing, it was never about like the biggest fish, or I'd take them bone fishing, and they'd be like, "This sucks." I mean, we haven't caught three today, and we're like, "I'm like, three's good. Like, we're we're doing great." They're like, "This is this is terrible." Like when we went over to that bush, we caught hundreds, and they're talking about little snappers like this, right? Like, they were cool, and they were biting at everything, and and that's what they remember. Or you catch like a, a an eel, or you catch um anything weird a puffer fish they'll remember that for the rest of the day so we used to take pictures of who caught the coolest fish or the weirdest fish and that would be what would go on the um the refrigerator like back <laughs> when you got pictures developed and stuff but that would they were so much more interested in that the weirdest fish or the coolest fish or the rarest fish but mm -hmm. never about like Oh, we caught another tarpon and it was one inch bigger than the last one we caught. And like <laughs> most people, especially kids are like, I don't know. They all look the same to me. Like, like, can we go catch the barracudas? They have huge teeth and they're so cool. And, but yeah, I like, I like that. Um, so cool. So, um, uncle Larry, um, with the, uh, I mean, we talked about your, your plan for the future. Do, do you other guys believe, um, that that's the way to go, or do you think you should be doubled down on fishing and and that you'll find your you mean like a is it is it the path of a multimedia marketing agency so that you make enough money to fish all the time, or is it let's figure out how to do this in fishing, like where where do are, are you all aligned on that? Uh, I I believe so. Yeah, I, I think we we definitely have to find um, for the time being at least some other ways to maintain you know um and i think the goal ultimately like johnny said is to work up to be able to have the you know financial back and be able to just go to you know whatever place we want to go to and and do that and you know in the, in the near future have that knowledge and the skill set and the capabilities to, to do that the way it needs to be done properly mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah so, that's a real that's a real challenging thing i think when you're starting when you're starting you know to get into that business of like how does that pay right like yeah and i think a lot of people i think most people miss and a few people hit it but like i don't i, I don't know where like where are you leaning on on how that pays like how to how who would pay for a and I'm just asking like a rhetorical question here. Like who would pay for a project to send you to Bhutan, for example? I think that's what we're working on finding yeah. out. Yeah. Um, testing the well, that's the, that's the real, that's the real challenge right there. Yeah, like, that's the real challenge. How do you create a product that someone we... wants to pay for? Exactly. Um, no, and, and like we've started this and everything's been our own, you know, time and money and then, late luckily lately like we we do project work for a lot of people mm -hmm. so a lot of times this is probably more the answer 
to your question, like the direction it's taken from that side is our own stuff is our own stuff. Like there's really like not as much of a reason for somebody to pay for us to come out with stuff that's mostly benefiting us. Um, there are, you know, ways you can soft market things. Um, if there's like particular gear and baits you really believe in and you develop a good relationship with that person and it's getting in front of millions of eyes every month, like that is worth something. Um, if there's a brand consistency, but overall, I think a big thing too is taking those multimedia skills that we put into our own content and creating content for other brands in the industry. So it's not necessarily like an uncle Larry's video, mm -hmm. but we're already out filming one. So how do we take the resources we have and the time we're spending on the water and produce something of value for you, which send us rods, send us reels, send us baits, and we'll film your ads. If we don't believe in what it is necessarily, we're not going to associate it with us or the brand, but we will do that corporate side of the work. Mm -hmm. If we do believe in it even better, because now you're going to get that natural product integration with the videos, because we're going to have that gear on hand for weeks, months, years to come. Um, but showcasing that we can come out with professional looking content rather than that sort of bloggish style content and be consistent on when we promise we're going to deliver something. That's been a big thing we've realized in the fishing industry and not to ramble on about this sort of thing. But, um, again, we talked before people like to do this stuff and they're willing to do it for free. So if a brand sends you rods and says, give us, give us some videos, you might get one or two back and then the excitement fades a little bit. So you're paying for is a consistency. So if somebody sends us rods, says, I need ads for these rods done by the end of the month, we're going to be very upfront and honest about what those are going to look like when we're going to deliver them. Um, and a lot of people in the industry for years have thought we're like goony, ridiculous, going to get into some trouble Jersey guys. And there is an element of truth to that. But when we say we're going to do something for you that you're giving us a return for, we take that really seriously. Um, and I think people starting to recognize that with us, which is great. And we're building up those relationships over time. And it just takes time and people see value in different things. Some mm -hmm. people want soft integration, big fish mm -hmm. on their rods. Some people want a really corporate media ad and that's never going to go on our Instagram page, but we'll, we'll make the ads for you mm -hmm. and you can use them however you want. Um, so there is work that's maybe not directly tied with our logo, but mm -hmm. still involves Shimano is going to need, you know, for their next line of reels, they need pictures, they need videos, they got iCasts, mm -hmm. they got magazines. Yeah. You still need these things. <laughs> and the more one company decides to step up and invest in, marketing their product, the more everyone else has to play keep up. So there is, there is opportunity. You just got to be creative and develop the right relationships and be consistent. Yeah. Very good. Tell me about the positive message that you, you mentioned that a couple of times, the positive message that's underlying in everything that you're doing. Well, I think it all just really goes back to, like I was saying with the feeling, it's like it, means so much to all of us individually to be out there fishing and experiencing these things that 
as someone that does a lot of the, the video work for Uncle Larry's, my goal with it and what I really want people to get out of it is just to watch one of these edits and feel that, get inspired to go experience that themselves, whether it's inside or outside of fishing. And just like I said, when they, for example, the last video that I just put up the other day with Kai and I catching redfish, you hear the laugh that I have when I hook up to one of those nice redfish. I sound like a five-year-old child. And I want you to see that. I want you to feel it. And I want you to go chase that yourself. Whatever that is, like I said, inside or outside of fishing, I just want you to chase it, you know? And I think this life is such a beautiful gift. And, you know, we, we really owe it to God for putting us here to make the most of it, you know? And I just want people to feel that. That's cool. What about you, Kai? Yeah, I definitely uh, resonate with that. I think um, the, the biggest takeaway that I want people to get is just to, to kind of find their passion. One of the things that really um, stuck with me about all the comments that I was seeing on that um, viral video was like people asking themselves like, damn, I don't, I don't even know what makes me this happy. Like <laughs> I need to find, you know, something that makes me want to scream like that. You know what I mean? Just having people ask themselves that question, like, what is my passion? What is my purpose? Why am I here? What do I really love to do? And how can I do that in a fulfilling manner? You know what I mean? Um, I, I think that that it would be the overall message that I'd like people to take is to just, you know what I mean? Do what fulfills you. Do what you're passionate about and do it to the fullest. I love it. We couldn't end it any better than that, right about an hour almost exactly, and uh, and end it with a positive message. I, I love that. I love the, this whole conversation. It was really fantastic because it was very reminiscent of the, the early podcast that I, that I did, and that was, that was really the underlying message of, like, what, why did you make this change in your life, you know, to move into, a, a, you know, basically to fish? And, um, you know, there's a lot of other people that, that have had the, a similar draw to the to the fishing world you know it's it's their passion it's what gets them excited it's what's awesome and and fun and uh they quit a job just like just like you guys did or moved to a different part of the country so that they could do this so i i love what you're doing i think it's really great and uh wish you the best of luck man how do people uh how do people follow uncle larry outdoors on instagram tiktok youtube um, and if there's any, any other ones that we need to hop into, we'll get on that, but <laughs> yeah, somebody send us a comment. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, um, I'm sure that you'll pick up some new followers on, on, you know, from this and, uh, uh, you got at least one I'm, I'm following you guys now. So I like what you're doing and, um, it's really cool. Really cool. All right, it was awesome to meet you guys. We'll be back next week with another um, great guest, just like these guys from Uncle Larry's. And uh, that's it. We'll see you next week. See you. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Oh my god! Oh. Every once in a while it's fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. 
This is like a high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.